There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna freeze. Oh, wait. <laughs> Welcome to the Points in the Pain podcast presented by Stadium. Find us on Twitter at Points Paint or Stadium's NBA podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Leave us a note, leave us a review, subscribe, whatever it may be. And we welcome you. Oh, us. <laughs> yes, give us a call. Ben Wittenstein with you. Zach Badger House in the house. <laughs> We're excited to have you listen. We have a big episode, Zach. We got the Milwaukee Bucks preview. We got the Detroit Pistons preview. Woo-wee. Two teams on uh, a little different paths. A little different paths. <laughs> a little different skill levels. Oh, man. I won't try to laugh too hard at that, but you said it. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not. This is well, the Pistons are are on the up and up. They, their their arrow is pointed up, and Only they have taken. They <laughs> yes, that's you know that's that's a good point, and they've got Kate Cunningham now, so I I think they're they're going in a good direction. Um, yes. But we got uh, so we got Mitchell Maurer from SB Nation's Brew Hoop to talk uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and who we get for uh, Detroit. We have Omari Sankofa from the Detroit Free Press talking everything Detroit basketball. Yeah, we were uh, we were excited to talk to them both and, and appreciate them both coming on and, and talking with us and previewing their teams. So we'll get to those interviews in just a sec, but don't forget our voicemail line, always open. Uh, we had a short week last week, so we'll keep the voicemail line open and, and we'll play everything next week. 773-273-9088. You can text us, too. Don't forget, you can text us. You had a couple drinks one night. You, you want to text us uh, some some hot takes that you have on your mind? Feel free. We'll read them on the podcast. 773-273-9088 is that number. And uh, we'll, we'll keep putting them in the episode description. So if you miss it, you can look at the description, give us a call, give us a text, whatever it may be, Zach. Yes, just hit us up, 773-273-9088. Listen, you hear this number, you can just tell somebody in the middle of the street, hey, call this number, because that's what I do. So that's all you have to do is just tell somebody to just dial that number. They're going to hear a great voice telling them to leave a voicemail with their hottest NBA take. And when that buzzer goes beep, you just leave that message. As we get to the closer to the season, we'll have some assignments for people to call with uh, with their predictions and such. But, Zach, let's get to the interviews. We'll start with the Milwaukee Bucks and Mitchell Maurer from SB Nation's Brew Hoop talking everything about the world champion, Milwaukee Bucks. All right. To preview the world champion, Milwaukee Bucks, for next season, we want to bring in co-managing editor for SB Nation's Brew Hoop, Mitchell Maurer. Mitchell, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, Milwaukee Bucks won. I was excited for that, you know, over the course of uh, last season. 
we're coming into this season hoping they can probably go back to back or something. So let's just dive right into it. Let's We're excited. How uh, so? How has the off season been for you and uh, for the rest of Bucks Nation? You guys still kind of riding that high of winning a title? Very much so. Uh, I catch myself at least once a day, maybe more than that, uh, just rewatching the last few minutes of Game Six of the Finals. Uh, it's been fifty years. I think that most Bucks fans have earned the right to kind of bask in the afterglow of the championship. But as you said, uh, the goal is to do it again. Like Giannis himself even said post game that they want to go and do it again. And so that's precisely what the team is loading up to do. Uh, the offseason has been pretty steady. Uh, they returned the majority of their playoff rotation with some notable exceptions. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they should be one of the favorites to make it back. Oh, that's big. I feel like when you look at what their roster did and what they have coming back, it it seems like obviously repeating in the NBA is extremely difficult, but they have all the pieces there to do it again. They do. Uh, admittedly, you have to, in order to get to the finals and really have any playoff success, you have to have certain things break your way as well. Uh, and, you know, let's be honest, they did have injuries break their way, especially in that Brooklyn series, because Harden was extremely limited. Kyrie went down, I think, what was it, game three? He had that ankle injury. Uh, and so that did obviously make the path viable for Milwaukee to get out of the second round just to get to the, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, they lost Dante DiVincenzo in the first round. And so he was out. He's still out uh, for the foreseeable future. Giannis had that scary knee injury in the Conference Finals and, you know, somehow made his way back just missing two games. So it's all you have to do in order to be successful is put yourself in a position to win. And that's what they've done, you know, for the past three years under Mike Budenholzer. The first two years, clearly they didn't. And last year they did. So if they can put themselves in position to get back there again, I am willing to have them compete against anybody, including Brooklyn. So, okay. So my question is what, were necessarily your expectations for the offseason after, you know, winning the title? And have they met those expectations? Generally, I expected them to keep the band together and to essentially they already have their big three locked up. Like Giannis signed his Supermax in the offseason. Chris Middleton is on his big deal. Uh, and they were able to extend Drew Holiday before the playoffs. And so their big three were locked up. They have Brooke Lopez, I think, for another couple of years. So the, the core of the roster was intact. What I expected them to do was to keep um, – ideally, they were going to keep both Bobby Portis, who was huge off the bench, and P.J. Tucker, who was an absolutely massive midseason acquisition. My guess going into it was going to be that they were going to keep Tucker and lose Portis because they weren't going to be able to pay Bobby Portis what he would have made on the open market. Uh, the opposite is what happened. Yeah, Bobby Portis yeah. took a big old discount to stay put because he's happy. He's in a good situation. And yeah. I, th I think it's fair to presume that because of that decision, which was maybe a surprise to a lot of folks that the Bucks calculus regarding how much they were willing to pay for PJ Tucker, not just for his salary, but also with the luxury tax may have affected their decision to retain him versus letting him walk to Miami. So that was probably the biggest surprise was seeing Tucker leave, especially after he had, you know, found such a great fit and on the, the team's championship run. But generally, I think the, the top seven of their eight-man playoff rotation is still intact, and they reloaded with a couple of other pieces. Um, so 
So generally, yeah, they 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 are what they've been for the past three years. They're a team built around defense, built around Giannis, you know, built around flexibility and uh, being able to basically just out execute their opponent. So when you win a title, a lot of uh, bits and pieces from the season before become, you know, a big part of the legacy of that team, a legacy of the season. And I, I think you would have to put in Kevin Durant as a big part of the Milwaukee Bucks legacy for, for yeah. winning the title because he hit that not three-point shot that ended up being a two-point shot that sent the game into overtime and the Bucks win and, and the rest is history. And you said you would be pretty confident in the Bucks being able to take on the Nets in a seven-game series. And you, you mentioned it for just a second, but I, I want to ask you again, how what's the reason for the confidence? Because we know the Nets are, again, going to be the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to have a fully healthy Durant and a Kyrie, and they're going to have the whole shebang there. What, do you, you think they can take them again in a seven-game series? I think they can, yes. I don't know if they will because okay. Brooklyn has, like, the best collection of top-end talent since, I don't know, ever, maybe, <laughs> in, in, ter- in terms of their big three. And with Blake Griffin as a role player, you know, Bruce Brown is maybe a little – I don't want to call Bruce Brown overrated because he does only a couple of things, but he does them exceptionally well, especially at his position – so uh, I, Brooklyn's tough. Brooklyn's tough because they have a ton of talent on paper. Yes, they will have a healthy Durant, Kyrie, and Harden at the beginning of the season. Are they going to have that by the time playoffs run around? History would tell us that no. That that's just not what these guys have done. Now, of course, just like with the Bucks being successful in the playoffs, like nothing is true until it is until they actually do it. So there's no reason to expect that Brooklyn wouldn't actually keep their big three healthy for the duration of the season. But it is, I mean, especially because they're going back to 82 games, which means they're going back to the full length of travel and, you know, back-to-backs and everything else that really wears players down, particularly when they're older. Like, all, I think, and I'm pretty sure, you know, Durant and Harden are both over 30. I'm not sure exactly how yes. old Kyrie is. Is he past 30 as well? I'm pretty confident he's at least 29 going to be 30. Yeah. Pretty confident in that. I mean, I'm no NBA player, but I can tell you as a 34-year-old male, like there's a switch that flips, and it doesn't feel good when it flips. So at a certain <laughs> point, at a certain point, every little bit starts to wear on you a little bit more. And so assuming that Brooklyn is going to be healthy at the end of the season is, you know, I don't think it's fair to assume that anybody is going to be healthy at the end of the season. But even still, let's just pretend that they, both teams are healthy. Let's just have that conversation. I think that Milwaukee has proven – that with the system that they have, with the adjustments that they made, particularly Giannis and the way that he plays in that mid-post area and his passing ability out of the mid-post, I think that that puts a lot of pressure on any opposing defense, particularly one that isn't a great defense. They performed well, Brooklyn did, but they're not a great defense. And without a true rim protector, I don't think that Brooklyn can stop Milwaukee I don't necessarily believe that Milwaukee can stop Brooklyn because, again, Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, is, like, that's a lot. That's <laughs> that a lot to try to stop. But if you're going to get in a shootout, like, I don't think that the Bucks are particularly badly equipped to be able to survive a shootout. At that point, it's just taking it game by game, quarter by quarter, possession by possession. So you, the Milwaukee Bucks was, were able to acquire uh, Grayson Allen. How do you think he's going to be able to contribute to the team? 
I actually think that he's going to be penciled in as the starting shooting guard at the beginning of the season, primarily because, Mm. yes, primarily because Dante DiVincenzo is still recovering from his ankle injury from the playoffs. It was a nasty ligament tear. Um, He was, I think, only recently was able to get out of a walking boot. Like, I know the short, it was a short offseason, but that was a while to spend in a boot. Um, And he has a history of ankle and foot injuries. So, Grayson Allen is essentially Dante DiVincenzo insurance, and he does a lot of similar things as Dante in terms of providing spacing on offense, uh, being a competitor on defense. He's not the same type of ball hawk that Dante is, um, but he's a much better spot-up shooter. He's much more uh, consistent out there. He's got a definitely better playmaking and a little bit better verticality than Dante has. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the rest of the roster in terms of the backcourt, like George Hill is clearly going to be the backup point guard, so he's not going to start. There's not really that many other options to be the, the fifth wheel for the starting lineup for the Bucks. Like Rodney yeah. Hood, maybe, because he's definitely more of a two, like a two, three kind of a swingman. But, like, I don't, I'm not going right. to, like, Grayson Allen did start last year for Memphis. I would suspect that he at least starts the season as uh, as a part of the opening five. Just uh, be prepared for the tripping jokes that come on Twitter. I would imagine. Oh, they, oh, they're already started. They've already started, <laughs> and there there are tons of Bucks fans who are also Badger fans and don't uh, don't take kindly yeah. to to Grayson Allen's personal history. But by all accounts, he's matured a lot in his time in the league. And so, uh, you know, if the if the jokes are just that, just jokes, and he doesn't uh, revert to maybe some of those old habits, then I think everything will be fine. So the Bucks had one of, if not the shortest offseason of all the teams in the NBA. And we know Coach Bud is certainly a regular season coach. Who's, he's not, you know, at the Tom Thibodeau level of coaching regular season games, but his teams do play hard during the regular season. How how do you think he approaches this season? And like you said, it's a full 82-game schedule. You're going to get those back-to-backs. It's going to be grueling. Do you see him maybe changing his approach to regular season coaching a bit? I think that last year was the first time where, where Budenholzer was really challenged to change his approach to the regular season. And, and truly, last year was the first time, with Milwaukee at least, where he played Milwaukee's main starters more extended minutes in the regular season. Uh, historically, he's actually been somebody who's you know very good about finding rest and getting rest. And part of that is that the Bucks for two years were blowing guys out left and right. And so they had fourth quarters. They could just rest, rest their starters. Uh, but load management is not a foreign concept to the Milwaukee coaching staff. And I think that they know, not just because of the offseason being as short as it is, but Drew and Chris went to the Olympics like immediately after the yeah. finals. So their offseason was even shorter as a result of that. And so I think that there, there's going to be a lot of rest. I think they're going to take a while to come online. Um, I think that you know they're going to give those days off when they need to, probably earlier than you might otherwise expect. And not just for the for their big three, but also for Brooke Lopez, who I think turns 34 this season. And so, you know, again, like, once you get into your early to mid-30s, like, playing at this level takes a lot out of you. And Brooke Lopez, in particular, really improved after the All-Star break because he was able to get that downtime in the middle of the season. And, you know, they were able to ride him, you know, through the rest, the last of the regular season and the playoffs. Uh, and so I think that they're going to be cautious. I think that they're going to continue to tinker and tweak around the margins to, uh, you know, find out what other things they can do. But they're probably going to be giving a lot of minutes to kind of the middle section of that rotation and the roster 
uh, honestly, just to kind of get through the early parts of the season before putting too heavy of a burden on their main guys. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, MVP, the finals MVP. Let's talk about Giannis for a second. Do you believe that Giannis will improve his outside shooting and his free throw ability coming into next season? It depends on how you define improve. Like if okay. you're gonna look, if you're gonna look purely statistical markers, I think that his free throw percentage will improve a little bit. But I'm not here. I'm not gonna, you know, say he's gonna jump above 80, 85 percent. That's like he, he's never been above 80 percent as a free throw shooter. I think his rookie season he was like mid to high 70s, and basically, you know, just kind of slid all the way down to the mid 60s ever since. Uh, you know, he had a great game six. What was it? 17 of 19 from the great. line. Yes. Yeah. I was very happy to see that. I don't think that that is the norm. <laughs> I think that he will improve. I hope that he improves. His, uh, his free throw routine has been the subject of, of much discussion, uh, <laughs> around Bucks Twitter. That's for sure. Take I would love time. to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he, he's allowed to. So unless yes. they're going to call it, <laughs> but, uh, I think, uh, I think that he, will be more judicious with what shots he takes. I think he will be better. I don't think he's going to be like a knockdown mid-range shooter like a Durant or a Dirk or or somebody like that. But I think he'll be I think he'll be better and I think that a big part of it is because he knows like how to let the game come to him more. He knows how to leverage his passing, you know, especially in that mid-range area, that mid-post area. And you know, when those shots open up, you know, I would I would love to see him find like his spots where he's able to take and make easy ones. How cool has it been to see his star grow? Because you've you guys as, as Bucks fans have obviously been seeing him since in the last eight years, and he won MVPs and and he did all that, and everyone knew about him. But finally, he wins the title, and his name and face is all over the world. He's going through Chick Fil A drive-throughs, and millions of people <laughs> are watching him on on Instagram Live. How cool has that been to? to see his stardom just explode all over the world. It, it, it's really, it's really gratifying. It's a very, it's a storybook. Uh, it arc is. It that really he's following. Is. Like it's even, even the, you know, not to, not to be crass, but like the rags to riches story from, you know, his family emigrating to Greece and, you know, the things that he did as a teenager, but you know, even before he started playing basketball as a regular focus, like, you know, selling stuff uh, on the corners to, to make ends meet and then, you know, help the family get what they needed. And then moving here as an 18 year old. And he was absolutely embraced by the fan base as soon as he got here. And because of how loyal Giannis is, he returned yes. Yes. that embrace as, as tightly as it was given. Um, and so, you know, being able to watch him grow up and, you know, become a full fledged adult and like, start a family of his own in Milwaukee uh, has been really, really cool to see, you know, the fact that he's locked in for, you know, at least another five years. Um, it, you know, we get to continue on this journey with him. And it, it's very much – if sometimes family is what you're born with and sometimes family is where you end up. And he's absolutely ended up in one of the best positions and the city is very lucky to have him. And I think the city knows that. Uh, and so it's just it, it's just good vibes all around. <laughs> Good vibes all around. I agree with that for sure because Giannis, what he's for me personally, what he's done from you know coming from Greece, being you know, like you said, the story rags to riches, like being you know sharing shoes with his brothers, you know, you know all those stories that you've heard, you know, growing up playing basketball and up to get to this point, and then winning MVP the first time, and then after winning MVP, wasn't satisfied, so he won a championship. Then you win a championship. 
Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. So, Mitch, this is our final question. We like to ask this question, and it's for you. This is your question. Not for the okay. Milwaukee Bucks, but this is for you about the Milwaukee Bucks. And so what is your hot take, personal hot take for the Milwaukee Bucks this upcoming season? Can be a trade, can be how well they'll do anything. What's your hot take on this Milwaukee Bucks team? Oh, man, I usually avoid hot takes just because I don't want to get exposed later. I'm very risk averse. <laughs> putting me on the spot here, but that's okay. That's okay. It can be how the player's going to do too. Sure. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's see. Man, there's a lot, there's a lot of different directions to go with this. We'll stick with the team. We'll stick with what matters, which is playoff performance. Okay. I'll say that, I'll say my hot take is that the Bucks will repeat as the Eastern Conference Championship and they will make it back to the NBA Finals over Atlanta, who had a, you know, a great season and looks, you know, looks to have a very promising future. Past Brooklyn, which, you know, is easily one of the biggest challenges. Out yes. there in anywhere, not just the East, uh, past Philly, which is its own hot mess. And I love to see every second of it because I'm <laughs> here. Uh, I, th- I think that the Bucks figure it out. I think they have the right mix of guys. They have the good coaching. They have, they have Giannis who can perform at the height of his powers when he needs to. And I don't think that you can stop that. You know, when, when, it, when the chips are down and it is a do or die situation, I think the Bucks have gotten past whatever was holding them back before. And I don't think anybody will beat them in a series until maybe the finals next year. So there, there it is. There's my hot take. The Bucks will make Ooh. the finals. I like it. I like it too. I don't know if I don't know if Ben agrees because he's rooting for the Bulls, but you know I like Giannis, <laughs> so I'm rooting for Giannis. So I'm all Giannis all the way. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So. Mitchell, we appreciate you joining the Points in the Pain podcast. Uh, tell the listeners where they can find your work and everything else. Uh, it's very easy. You just go to brewhoop.com, that's SB Nation's uh, Milwaukee Bucks fan site. And uh, we're going to be ramping up our preseason coverage and, and getting the season just like everyone else. Uh, we've got a really fun uh, annual series that we're going through right now where we rank the roster in terms of who is going to be most important to postseason success, you know, number one is probably obvious, but everything below that, <laughs> although all, all the little pieces matter, just like the wire taught us. Uh, so yeah, you can check that out. Yes. On there you have it. Mitchell Meyer, Milwaukee Bucks, co-managing editor covering everything Milwaukee Bucks for SB Nation's Brew Hoop. Thank you, sir. All right. We appreciate Mitchell coming on, talking Giannis, talking Milwaukee, thinking they can beat the Nets in seven. Once again, this season. Bucks and six. <laughs> Bucks and six again, huh? <laughs> this time it's in six. Hey, hot take, man. But, uh, Milwaukee Bucks to come out of the Eastern Conference. Ooh-wee. I like that. You know, look, I'm all about Giannis. So I don't know how you feel. I know. Chicago Bulls. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Maybe next year. We'll see. Uh, and who do we have up next, Zach? Up next, we have Detroit Free Press, very own Detroit Pistons beat writer, Omari Sankofa. We want to welcome him on the Points in the Pain podcast. So let's take a listen. Let's welcome a special guest on the Points in the Pain podcast, Michigan State alum. He is currently covering everything Detroit Pistons, a current beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Let's welcome Mr. Omari Sankofa. 
Thank you, sir, for joining the Points in the Paint podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. I actually just got back from vacation, so I'm starting to ease back into the Pistons flow. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so during your vacation or during your downtime, first thing I really wanted to ask is, have you had the opportunity to watch Malice in the Palace, and how you feel about it? I did. You're talking about the uh, Netflix doc? Yeah, how you feel about that? I did. You know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I thought it definitely took more of a, it felt more like a Pacers doc more so than right. a, uh, a uh, Pistons doc to me. So I'm not sure what I expected going again, but it definitely told that part of the story, uh, you know, more so than the, the Pistons side. But I thought it was a fun watch. You know, I pretty much watch any sports documentary and I think that's a topic that we probably hadn't seen, uh, you know, touched on as much just because it's such a, t- a touchy topic for the, the, the NBA and, <laughs> everybody involved, but uh, clearly, you know, the Pacers, you know, I think, you know, years later, uh, you know, I thought a big part of it was it, it kind of ruined, you know, the uh, team that they had, you know, which is, you know, probably a fair point, you know, when you look at all, all, all the games that they missed, but um, definitely an interesting doc, and I do want to see more docs about the Madison at the Palace, just because it's just such a, a crazy thing that happened. Yeah. So we're at, we're having you on to talk Pistons. Um, and you look at the off season that the Pistons have had so far. Um, and you know, obviously the season that they're coming off of. How would you assess in general what the Detroit Pistons have done with their off season so far? I thought it was, you know, pretty straightforward. Of course, they got the number one pick. So that's the, the highlight of the summer for them. Uh, they had, I thought they made it, you know, pretty clear before the off season started that, you know, unlike last year where they made a bunch of trades and a bunch of signings and they refreshed almost the entire roster. Uh, that this summer would be a bit more low key. So, you know, of course, you had Cade Cunningham come in and he was the number one pick. Uh, they added a couple second round guys and Isaiah Livers and uh, Luca Garza. And then you just had Kelly Olynyk and, and Trey Lyles. And I think that was pretty much along the lines of what uh, we expected they would do coming in. You, know, you added some some shooting, you added a few more young guys. But for the most part, uh, the roster from, from last season was pretty much what they want to roll forward with as they because uh, he'd undergo this this rebuild or a story we would like to say restoring. So I mean, anytime to get the number one pick and add a guy like like Cade Cunningham, I think that's that's the highlight of the summer. Uh, he's the guy that they needed. He's the uh, the the focal point, right? You just look at the last 13, 14 years. You know they've they've tried. They you know brought players in, but they just haven't had a guy like Cade, who was clearly a guy with superstar potential and can be sort of the the ringleader for what they're doing going forward. So just because they got Cade Cunningham and that's a player they've been trying to get for a long time, I think that, that this makes this a really great offseason for them. You emphasize a lot on uh, Cade Cunningham. So according to a source, I won't name the source, I won't name the source, but <laughs> Detroit was recently named the capital of bad sports. And, and they suggest that Cade Cunningham not only will have to save the Pistons, but save Detroit sports as a whole. And to that, you say what? You know, it's it's not super far off, right? I mean, mm. D- Detroit is a, a city that's got a great sports history, but you just go back, you know, the last, you know, 10, 11 years and, uh, you know, the Tigers had some success beyond that. You know, it's been it's been pretty dry. Uh, so for the city to get, you know, number one pick and a guy like Cade Cunningham, uh, you definitely see how that kind of, makes everybody much more, you know, excited and, you know, it, it kind of galvanizes everybody, right? Like now you have a player who comes in and they have this reputation and they've been hyped up for a long time and uh, gives people something to rally around. 
Um, so I, you know, I think I think there's something to that for sure. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would say he's going to save Detroit sports because you know we've also seen the, the Tigers do some things, and you have Brad Holmes come in with the Lions, and um, you know they I thought they had a pretty good offseason. Uh, you know, just being able to move on from Matt Stafford and just pick a clear direction going forward. Uh, so I'm not going to put it all on Case Cunningham's shoulders, but if we're just looking at it from like an overall excitement scale, uh, K might be number one on that list. So can't put all of it on them, but I'm going to put a good amount of it on them for sure. It's good for the Pistons too, because they, it seems like they need someone for fans to actually be excited about. No, definitely. Um, I think, I think uh, the thing about Pistons fans is that they are not accustomed to losing. Uh, you know, just look at, you know, since like 19, since they drafted Isaiah Thomas basically in the 80s, uh, really up until, you know, they moved on from the going to work era, they had a pretty good run of success, right? You know, you went three championships, you know, the last, uh, you know, dynasty they had, you know, six straight Eastern Conference finals. Even the 90s, which was the previous bad era, you had Grant Hill and it just kind of fell apart because of injuries, right? It wasn't like they were just outright terrible. It was just, uh, you know, you, you had talent and it just didn't come together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I think this is something that fans wanted. Uh, you have a, a, a player who's the number one pick and he's coming in and he's clearly the face of the franchise. Uh, you're not making, uh, you know, like trades that may get you halfway there, but won't completely close the deal. I know the Blake Griffin trade was, uh, you know, kind of some fans loved it. Some fans didn't like it. You know, of course, you know, we don't have to go through the whole history of the moves they've made this last decade that didn't work <laughs> out. Uh, but this is just very straightforward, right? You know, you have a young team, you have, you know, a, a, a guy with clear star potential, uh, low expectations, you know, there's no like win now mandate, although they do want to win. Uh, you know, I think they're pretty realistic at what they, uh, you know, expect from this young team going forward. And it also helps that you have guys like, you know, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, who were, uh, first, second team our rookie last year. They have a player in Killian Hayes, who, you know, of course, missed a lot of time last season, but he's still less than a year removed away from being the seventh overall pick. Uh, they've had some of the smaller moves that panned out, like, you know, have Emino Diallo, you get him back on the cheap deal. Uh, Saban Lee being a second round guy. Like, there's just a lot. I think if you're a fan, there's a lot that just kind of makes sense. And you can kind of see this team over the next four years and see them becoming something. You know, whether they become a contender remains to be seen, but they're clearly on an upward proje- trajectory, uh, which is what you want if you're a fan. Now, obviously, clearly a lot on Kate Cunningham's shoulders, but what other players, and you mentioned some, what other players are you expecting to or should kind of take that next leap in their careers to help out Cade and to keep this rebuild moving forward for the Pistons? You know, I, th- I think a player who's, you know, had a big role last season and uh, could, will have a big role again next year and a player that the Pistons still think could get even better is Jeremy Grant. Uh, you know, he came in, he had never really had that, uh, type of responsibility before he had been a role player. Had a good season at Denver last year, but he comes in, he averages 23 a game, you know, got some monster consideration. You know, I think finished second or third in the most improved player race. Uh, you know, he's 27 years old. So this is still a, a player who you just look at, uh, his career path. Uh, maybe there's still another level he could get to, right? Uh, you know, we saw him, you know, flash some, some passing last season. Uh, though he was doing some things that he hadn't really done before. And that was his first year really embracing that type of role. So now you come into the offseason and you know what that was like. You know where you can grow. And the team believes that, that he's not a finished product yet. So um, right off the bat, you have, you know, Cade Cunningham and Jeremy Grant. And these are two guys that, uh, even if they're both not all-stars next season, uh, and, you know, Cade's a rookie, of course. So from the even being in that conversation would be, you know, pretty amazing for a rookie. But they're two guys who, you know, at the very least, 
you feel pretty good that, you know, they could be, you know, maybe two of your top three or four guys when you do become a championship team, which is a pretty big step forward. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy Grant's definitely up there. You know, I mentioned Sadiq Ben, Isaiah Stewart. Uh, you know, Sadiq was a starter for most of last season. Isaiah Stewart kind of emerged after the halfway point. Uh, both obviously really talented players. I mean, Sadiq was a great three-point shooter, uh, hit about 38%. Uh, if, this, if that season were a full season, if they played 82 games instead of 72 games, uh, Sadiq Bey uh, was on pace to set the all-time three-point record as far as three-pointers made for a rookie. So, I mean, of course, that's that's extremely great. And uh, we saw in summer league he was hitting some, like, turnaround, like, mid-range shots, <laughs> like, just showing some footwork he just didn't have last year, uh, which I don't know how much of that he'll be doing next season, but it's something he's been working on, right? He wants to be that type of guy. Uh, I've heard like Chris Middleton as you know like a, a comparison if he reaches his his full potential. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so that's not bad. Saying, well, if I'm, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Chris Middleton's you know a top thirty guy. So you know if you, if you get that with the you know I think Sadiq was the the 18th pick. Uh, it's pretty good. It's definitely pretty good. Um, you know, Killian. You know, I'm not I'm not out on Killian. You know, I think Killian's been a bit divisive in the fan base just because he was hurt last year and. Uh, didn't play extremely well when he was healthy, but you know, but still, I mean, he's six five. He's a great passer. Uh, he's got really good defensive instincts. Like, he just do things that you you can't teach, right? And for him, it's just consistent consistency, uh, continuing the you know sharpen his, his his shot mechanics. Like I don't think he's that far from being an above average point guard. You know, like is he a perennial all star? You know, it's too early to say, but I don't think he's that far from being. Uh, a pretty good starting point guard if he just sharpens a few aspects of, of, of his game. So, you know, he's a guy that can make good stuff for it next season. Uh, I mentioned Hamido Diallo. He was good. Uh, I mean, I like all the way down the roster, I think all these young guys are, are pretty talented. But if you're looking at, you know, players who can make the league next season, I think probably those four or five are uh, the ones who are most likely to. So, it's been some pretty big news that uh, Detroit Pistons now have a G League team that's home base, you know, right there in the city of Detroit, uh, the Mortar City Crew. So how do you think that's going to impact the team moving forward and the uh, city of Detroit? So uh, one thing this new front office has really preached is just the importance of player development. And to have a G League team that's right down the street from the LCA, um, you know, you could assign guys on the fly. Uh, they could spend some time with the, the G League affiliate and then come back and, you know, still be with the main team for the, the game that night. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Mother City Crews are running the same plays. You know, there's going to be, uh, you know, com- complete synergy, you know, from like all the way down the line, you know, as far as that player development program. So I think the Pistons see it as an opportunity to help their players get e- even better. Uh, they're going to have the system in place that's going to, uh, you know, I think they hope it's going to accelerate the development of certain players. And it's a model that we've seen across the league, too. Uh, Dwayne Casey, you know, of course, he was with the Toronto Raptors. And uh, Toronto, their G League team, Raptors 905, uh, it's a pretty similar setup. You know, they're not very far from where the Raptors play. So it just makes it a lot easier to assign guys and to kind of maintain that synergy both ways. So uh, I know the Pistons are excited about that. Uh, you know, of course, it's another asset just for the community. Uh, you know, just a, another basketball team. Like, I, I like watching all types of basketball. Like, I think G League right. basketball is fun. Uh, you know, you'll have guys like uh, Luca Garza, uh, you know, of course, uh, one of the best college players to come out of, you know, college in a, a long time, just looking purely at accomplishments. You know, like he could be a draw for fans. Uh, you know, of course, some of the young guys from last season who could spend some time on the G League team, like, you know, Saban Lee, you know, I think he's a, a player who will spend some time with the Motor City Crews. 
Uh, you know, they're in a good location, too. I mean, you know, they're right off of uh, Warren, uh, you know, right on Wayne State's campus. Okay. You know, I think it'll be, uh, you know, if you just want to watch basketball and you don't want to pay, you know, whatever defensive tickets would be next season, I'm sure there'll be a pretty good draw coming off the pandemic with K. Uh, you know, you can still catch some guys there. So. So I, I'll, I'm going to try to say this with the least amount of offense to the Pistons as possible. <laughs> but the way that I have seen this team in the, for the past couple of years is kind of like that uh, $3 DVD bin at Walmart where you kind of look at it from afar and you're like, I don't know what's great in there. And then you start digging through it and you find some diamond in the rough movies, some diehards, some good new movies. But for the most part, it's, you know, it's nothing great. So with that being said, and the way you look at the way the roster is constructed for this year, is this a team that you see is going to try to continue the rebuild for this year and into the next, or is it going to be a team that's really going to fire for that playing spot this year for the playoffs? Well, they're definitely going to compete. You know, I, I know the mandate for them is, is to com- compete. Uh, you know, but overall, like I think if you just look at the quality of the Eastern Conference as a whole, and the conference as a whole got got much better. Uh, you know, you look at teams like Miami. You know, they they, they bring in Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, I'm sure, expect to be healthier than they were last year. Uh, Milwaukee brought almost everybody back. You know, Atlanta, I think, probably got a little bit better, and they retained everybody. Uh, you just go down the list, and there's probably, you know, nine or ten teams that are really going to gun for that playing spot. Like, like even Charlotte. I mean, of course, the metal ball was great last year. Uh, I thought they had a pretty good, uh, you know, draft with, with, with James Booknight. And, uh, yeah. you know, they, they yeah. finally got a good starting center and Mason Plumlee. I feel like they needed a center for like 10 years and they, you know, and that was a good trade for them. Uh, the East as a whole is good. And I think it would take a massive leap forward for several Pistons just from a, a ability standpoint for them to really, uh, make some playoff, some playing noise next season. Like maybe they're on the cusp of being like that knife or tough spot, but realistically, this probably isn't a team that's going to truly compete for a, a playing game until. Uh, you know, in my mind, 2022 or 2023, uh, you can probably look at that next season and not this coming season. Uh, but with that said, you know, this is still a team that is very young. Uh, you know, like a lot of your your main players are 20, 21, 22 years old. Uh, the expectations from the fan base, I don't think, will be that high. And if you just want to watch a fun team, you want to watch a number one pick, get his feet wet in the NBA, uh, there's still a lot to look forward to there. So if you want to make, make a play-in game, uh, or a playoff game, they're probably not quite there yet, but I don't think they're super far off at the same time. Hmm. All right. This is our favorite question right here. It's your favorite question. It's the last question. So what is your personal hot take on the Detroit Pistons? It can be anything, a trade that may happen. It could be how they're going to do, how they're not going to do anything. This is your question. Man, my personal hot take. You know, that's a that's a, that's a tough question because I'm usually pretty lukewarm. You know, I, I it doesn't have to be right, too. It can just be something crazy <laughs> that you think could possibly happen. I think, you know, I, I think by the end of the season, Killian Hayes is really going to look like a really good point guard. Like, I, I really do. Okay. I, I don't think I don't think he is. I think what he has to improve to get to that point uh, are things that are not necessarily easy to do. But if he does it, we're going to see him improve rapidly and we're going to see his confidence kind of pick up rapidly. Uh, you know, again, he's 6'5". He's really strong. Like, he's shown really strong defensive instincts, you know, through summer league and in the 26 games he did play last year. Uh, if you're ranking, like, the top five passes of the year, Killian probably had four of them, even though he only played, like, a third of the season. Uh, like, a lot of the stuff you just want to see, you know, from him is already there. Uh, okay. It's just his ability to score is just not there right now. You know, he doesn't get to, to the rim, although he he doesn't have a lot of bursts, but I think he's a good enough ball handler and he's strong enough to where he can still create those lanes, right? He's just not a guy that's going to 
blow by you. But, you know, but we've seen point guards thrive without that ability. Uh, you know, so that's not a deal breaker for him, but he could benefit to get to the rim a little bit more. Uh, but these are things he can do, right? You know, being a catch and shoot guy, uh, he didn't get a lot of catch and shoot attempts last season, but he's playing off of Cade Cunningham and maybe he can generate some more offense for him. Uh, I think like everything he needs to take that next step is already right in front of him. He just has to, to do it. So, uh, again, he only played 26 games last year. He's like two months older than Cade Cunningham, so he's still really young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can see him struggling to start the year, but, you know, assuming he's healthy and, uh, everything goes according to plan. You know, I think truly by you know the end of February, March, we'll start to see him really rounded into shape. So I don't know how hot that take is, but that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> we like it. It's great. Yeah, I do like that take. Killian Hayes improving. That's because you know you you mentioned that, and then you also mentioned how fans weren't really you know huge fans of him being drafted in throughout the season, and he had got hurt. I want to echo that and say you're very huge. That's very correct on that because there were so many uh, friends of mine from the city of Detroit that would say that, you know, why we pick him, you know, why did we, why didn't we go after someone else? And, you know, you know, that history of the Detroit Pistons in the NBA draft of like who they should have drafted or who they could have drafted instead of who they ended up drafting. And so, <laughs> you know, if for Killian Hayes to eventually pan out, that would be huge. Definitely. And I think every, and I, this probably isn't unique to Pistons fans. I'm sure all fan bases do this, but because the Pistons fan base is the one I've been around the most in my life being from here, uh, I can only speak from it from this standpoint. But it seems like every lottery pick is compared to all the previous lottery picks in like franchise <laughs> history. You, know, you pick a guy from Europe, and immediately there's like a 50% chance he's Darko in the minds of Pistons fans, even though that was like 18 drafts ago. <laughs> uh, you know, like it makes, it makes no sense at all, right? Like imagine you, you pick Darko and somebody, and, and somebody's like, well, they did this in 1985, so clearly this is what this is going to be for this guy. You'd be like, no, that was like 18 years ago. That was like you know, three <laughs> GMs ago. Like, why, why, why does that matter? Uh, but that's kind of how it goes. You know, the Pistons are missing a lot of picks, uh, especially in like that kind of six through ten range. And, you know, Killian, like, I guess that's what Pistons fans think, right? You know, this guy struggled for 26 games. Uh, he got hurt and, you know, books out. Like, that's it, right? You know, we've already seen this story before. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, you know, Troy, I think everybody agrees that he's been pretty good at evaluating talent. That he brought in Frank Jackson. Nobody really knew a whole lot about him. You know, he was drafted in the second round a few years prior. Comes in and he's like the second best three point shooter on, on the uh, team, right? Uh, you know, we see, you know, Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay get a lot better as the season goes on. And, you know, we're judging Killian after 26 games. Like, I just think it's way too early to really okay. uh, make any conclusions about him. Uh, you know, because I think along with that, you know, point guard, it's just a lot more that goes into it. You know, he's coming from, from France, uh, you know, during the pandemic, you know, which I think yeah. made it tough for a lot yeah. of guys to work out. Like, I don't want to make excuses for the guy, but there's just so much noise that it's tough to say one way or another how good he is. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I watch what he can do and, you know, look at what he can't do, but the stuff he can't do is stuff he still can do. It's still stuff he could get better at. And just being 6'5 and already being able to defend and be able to pass the way he can is a pretty high floor. So, uh, no, like, I, I I really do think that, you know, just a few tweaks, like, he's only a few tweaks away from really starting to live up to that spot. And, uh, yeah, by the end of next season, I, I still do feel that way for sure. Perfect. Well, Omari, we appreciate you for joining us on Points in the Pain podcast, man, to talk about these Detroit Pistons and talk some Detroit basketball. So, you know, it was great having you on, man. And tell the people where they can find your work. No, absolutely. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I uh, really enjoyed doing this. 
And people can follow me on Twitter at my first and last name, O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. And I'm the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. So just go on Freep.com. You can find my work there. Awesome. There you have it. Detroit Free Press, very own Detroit Pistons beat writer, Omari Sankofa. We appreciate you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. Always good to have him on. Yes, indeed. It is always a pleasure to cover another NBA team. We got an opportunity to cover the Detroit Pistons, Detroit basketball with Omari covering all the way out there in the Motor City, holding it down. So we appreciate him for joining us. We do. And I thought uh, we get a little two, two days here and we'll we'll have more. And I think hopefully Zach will have another twofer with uh Maybe the Celtics in the mix. Well, we'll have to see how everything works out. Yeah, we'll see how it works out with the uh, Eastern Conference uh, teams out there that we still want to touch on. And we still want to go out west, too. You know, we want to cover the Warriors, both L.A. teams, Portland, Denver, you know, Utah, even Utah. We'll find somebody out there in Utah, you know, just to get, you know, some Rudy Gobert hot takes. And on that note, that will conclude this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. I'm Zach Badgerhouse. That was my main man, Ben Wittenstein. Follow us both on social media. Make sure you follow the podcast at Points Paint on Twitter and Facebook. You want to make you some money, subscribe, rate, and review. And also, you got to listen if you're going to do those, follow those three things. Sharp lessons, make you some money with my man, Nate Jacobson, Ben Wittenstein, and awesome guests on the show as well and make sure tape don't lie with michael felder that podcast is also streaming tons of guests with great coverage and analytical statements and debates between michael felder and his guests you don't want to miss that and you'll hear from us here on points in the paint next week